Hey, this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today, I am super excited to talk through what I think is quite an untold story behind the holiday uh, celebrated on August 26th here in the United States, known as Women's Equality Day. Women's Equality Day, to me, used to come up on the calendar on that list of sort of holidays that you might Google if you are in social media and need to come up with graphics for holidays. Just to get some content out there. Yeah, right? Just to, like, whatever we need. And then... I'm a, I'm as big a feminist as they come, and I really didn't think August 26th was the best way to honor women. I was thinking, this is kind of a lousy time in the calendar. Everyone's on vacation. What a random, arbitrary day that I think also coincides with Free Cone Day at oh, Ben & Jerry's. That's one of my favorite holidays. Which to me is like a win for all, a win for <laughs> women, but it also kind of upstages Women's Equality Day sometimes. Yeah, I definitely have commemorated, uh, this makes me sound like a bad feminist, I've definitely commemorated Cone Day more than I have... Equa- uh, commemorated Women's Equality Day. Right, exactly. Roxanne Gay would be proud of this. So hashtag <laughs> bad feminist. But as it turns out, there is a huge, fascinating, amazing story behind this holiday, which was established in 1971, thanks to a quite a character who we're going to talk more about today, Representative Bella Abzug of New York, to commemorate the passage of the 19th Amendment, which granted women the right to vote way back in 1920. So this is a holiday that allows us every year to celebrate the 19th Amendment, to celebrate the fact that our Constitution says women, as well as men, should have the right to vote. But at the same time, it's also a reminder of the amendment that never passed or never became ratified by the United States of America, which is known as the ERA, or the Equal Rights Amendment. So some of the unfinished business of constitutional equality tends to be sort of churned up when we start to celebrate the 19th Amendment. Today, we want to talk about uh, the story behind women's suffrage, how we won the right to vote, which is really what August 26th, Women's Equality Day, is all about. Get to know the fascinating character that is Representative Bella Abzug and talk a little bit more about the work we have yet to finish, our unfinished business when it comes to constitutional equality. So let's take it back a little bit and talk about how we got to the 19th Amendment. So the 19th Amendment really was a culmination of a massive, peaceful civil rights movement led by women, but notably mostly white women. This is Seneca Falls, New York, we're talking about. And really, this movement had its formal beginnings in 1848 at the world's first women's rights convention in Seneca Falls, New York. So like a lot of good things in the world, it came from New York, just like our beloved Bella. Indeed. And even after the hard-fought battle for women's suffrage was over in the United States when women won the right to vote in the 1920 ratification of the 19th Amendment, uh, you know, this went without a holiday. This went without a holiday for 51 years. But on the 50th anniversary, which was in 1970, on August 26, 1970, 50,000 women marched down New York City's Fifth Avenue in a display of super strength of second wave feminism. This is like... 1970s second wave feminism's shining moment. And I mean, there were many shining moments, but this was their like force of strength 
on display. Em, does this does that remind you of anything that happened pretty recently? It sure does. What is that? The March of what do we call it technically? The Women's, the women's March. March. Yeah, the Women's March on the Women's March on Washington. Yeah, absolutely. And so. I think the numbers in that round were global and in the millions, right? What was it, eight million? Yeah, the lar- I've, I've heard it's the largest march of of women or in history. Of all, I think it was the largest yeah. march on of all time. Yeah, that that's they've what recorded. I've heard. Um, then again, they didn't have Twitter, they didn't have the internet. So fifty thousand women marching down Fifth Avenue is still amazing. And what they were doing is they were celebrating the fiftieth anniversary of the Nineteenth Amendment. And simultaneously, as is so necessary, unfortunately, in the women's rights movement and in feminism in general, they were protesting vocally the limits and expectations still placed on American womanhood, demanding changes to child care and abortion policies, education and employment opportunities. And many of these women abandoned their usual domestic duties for the day to join forces with sisters from across the country staging sit-ins and takeovers uh, of all-male spaces, like bars that were still all-male. And it was really um, a 50th anniversary opportunity for women to flex their political might and show the world that, you know, we're here, we've got the right to vote, there's still a lot more that we need. So what's so great about that to me is, one, is that that... that Today, we did that same tactic. I don't know if, if y'all participated, but um, on March 8th, 2017, we had a day without a woman where the idea was that women should, whatever duties that they have, they should not do them. And so that to, to sort of flex our muscles as folks who identify as women. So I just love that that's something that's been a tactic for a while. I also just think it's really uh, notable that the things that you just listed, that these women were were marching against, we have not won those battles. We are still fighting for abortion rights in this country today in 2017. We are still fighting for, you know, employment opportunities and education opportunities and and better child care, affordable child care. These are it's it's maddening to think how long we have been fighting these battles and that these conversations are still happening. Our foremothers would be probably disappointed that we are still fighting these battles so many years later that Mm. we have not won them yet. And even the ones that we seemingly have won, like access to abortion being technically legal, we're on the defensive because technically legal isn't the same as uh, accessible and accessible to all people. So I think that's such a great point. And it's also a reminder that we have to be vigilant. We have to be vigilant and that women have been busting their butts to win these rights over for us for decades and it, almost as, as long as our country has existed and beyond. So when this march to commemorate the 19th Amendment occurred one year later, to put it in stone and really commemorate this as an annual date of celebration, Congresswoman Bella Abzug, a Democrat from New York, introduced a bill that would formally establish National Equality Day or Women's Equality as a day of recognition. But really, we have to take a second, Bridget, to talk about Congresswoman Bella Abzug, for whom Women's Equality Day was actually one of the more symbolic pieces of legislation that she's passed. This woman is and a force to be reckoned with was a absolute character and memorable like history maker that I feel has not gotten her fair share of uh, of of space in our history books, to be completely honest. Totally. So I um, sadly had never heard of her, but I have to just give a quick plug. If you like stop <laughs> this podcast and Google image her because you need to see what she looks like. And also maybe quickly YouTube her. 
You, her, you have to her, hear her. The way that I could listen to her speak all day. Yeah. She, do you know when you just meet someone who has a way of putting things and has a way of speaking that you're just like, I could listen to you talk about this issue all day. She's that person. Like Google her, image her, and then start a petition for Kathy Bates to play her in a movie. Please, <laughs> I want to watch she, this. Bella had a reputation for always wearing big hats. Just like my, one of my favorite lawmakers, Frederica Wilson, exactly. in Florida, always wears a hat. And Bella was an attorney, and she used to say that she wore big hats so that she would be taken more seriously after being completely mistaken for secretary in her office time and time and time again. She said, working women wear hats. That's what they do. But to take it back even further, Bella was born, Bella Savinsky on July 24th in 1920 in New York City. She comes from the Bronx. So she was actually born one month prior to the 19th Amendment being ratified. She was destined for greatness. Exactly. So she was the child of uh, Russian immigrants. She was a Jewish woman. And she was really a bold and outspoken leading liberal activist and politician who came to the forefront of progressive politics in the 60s and 70s, especially known for her work on women's rights, but also on behalf of the efforts around civil rights, gay rights, and anti-war efforts around Vietnam. She started off her career knowing from an early age that she wanted to be a lawyer. At Hunter College, she demonstrated her natural leadership abilities as the president of the student council there. She went on to earn her law degree from Columbia University after being rejected from Harvard Law School because of her gender. Ugh. Harvard. I know. Get it together. Terrible choice, Harvard. (laughs) Um, I just love this quote about her uh, in Time magazine. No one, friend or enemy, denies that Bella Abzug has a certain presence. I just see her as from day one, you know, whether it's like getting rejected from Harvard and being like, screw you, Harvard, I'm going going to to Columbia. Columbia. (laughs) I just see her taking charge since day one, and I love it. Good, because she her work was needed, and she knew that she was... You know, she needed that kind of force to be reckoned with attitude to take on the kinds of fights she took on. So she started in labor law, moved on to tackling civil rights cases, working for the ACLU. She took on the Willie McGee case. McGee was an African-American man convicted of raping a white woman in Mississippi thought by many at the time to be completely innocent. Abzug faced death threats from many white supremacists for her involvement in the case. And uh, she was, while unsuccessful, tragically, at getting him acquitted, she did uh, managed to get his death sentence delayed through appealing his conviction time and time again. All of her efforts early on failed in her career, giving her this huge blow Um when, sadly and tragically, McGee was executed in 1951, many historians believe wrongfully so. Yeah, and I just think that it's so important to note the ways that she has been this fighter on these issues for so long, at the forefront of so many different intersecting causes. She defended many people who had been accused of communist activities by Joseph McCarthy. And then later in the 60s, she became involved in the anti-nuclear and peace and anti-war movements. Again, these were these great intersecting movements all around sort of social justice and social change. And it's kind of criminal that we don't hear more about her, considering she was at the forefront of so many of these movements. 
movement that, yeah. we, that we think of as formative. Right. And she's this colorful, outspoken, some might even call her brash, Jewish woman from the Bronx wearing giant hats. I mean, she is a character and she was good at what she did, in, especially in her six years in Congress. And just to sort of paint a picture here of the woman that is Congresswoman Bella Abzug, on her first day in her six-year tenure in Congress, she decided to make a pretty bold move with putting forth a bill to remove all U.S. troops from Vietnam. Boom. Like, first day. That's sort of what she put out there. Now, when the measure didn't pass, it was the first of many efforts of hers uh, that didn't always lead to a successful outcome, but nevertheless is part of Bella Abzug's spirit, which is to always fight for the causes that you believe in. Didn't she really early on in her career formally draw up legislation to have the president impeached? Yeah. She was one of the first people to publicly call for the resignation, no, the impeachment of President Richard Nixon. That is some Maxine Waters level of right? of getting down to business. Like, Bella Abzug is not here to play around with you. She came and she means business. Absolutely. After leaving the House of Representatives in 1977, she made a bid for New York City mayor, but lost to Ed Koch in the primaries. She was appointed by President Jimmy Carter to co-chair the National Advisory Committee for Women in 1978. But the next year, Carter dismissed the outspoken Abzug, um, which is kind of a sad mark on the history here. But it wasn't the end of her fighting for the causes that she believed in. She tried again for public office in 1986, um, but was un- unsuccessful then. Uh, and even while public office later eluded her, she continued to work on many of the causes uh, that she cared about, specifically around um, establishing the Women's Environmental Development Organization. I love this so much because it really puts her on the level of a lot of my idols, like because she worked with folks like Shirley Chisholm. She worked with Gloria Steinem. These women that you think of as so foundational to our history, right? Our, our foremothers. She was right alongside with them working for social change her whole life. I think it's important because she belongs to be up there, right, with the Gloria Steinem's, with the uh, Shirley Chisholm's of the world. And she is in many ways representing this category of women who we don't see very often in our history books, which is badass American immigrant Jewish political women. Our foremothers. Totally. I just love Bella Abzug now. I'm dying to see Kathy Bates play her in Kathy, a movie. That needs start to a petition. Google image her and tell me Kathy Bates should not play her in a movie. I'm telling you. It's true. It's yeah. absolutely true. And she's known for her outspokenness. Yeah, and you've got to hear her accent. It's like from the Bronx. She does not mess around. I would not mess around with Congresswoman Bella Abzug. Can you imagine if she actually had been mayor? Would have been amazing. 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 All right. So we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to talk through even further why remembering and celebrating the 19th Amendment's passage is so important. Because we might think of it as a done deal now. But back in 1920, it was far from certain. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. And we're back, and we've been talking through the fascinating history behind Women's Equality Day. And where we want to go next is just to highlight the fact that we should very much be celebrating 
the 19th Amendment and the right for women to vote, because this was far from an easy battle back in 1920 when the 19th Amendment was finally ratified. And what's funny here is that it's important to note that some of the states were way ahead of the game. States like what wasn't even a state at the time, but the territory of Wyoming became the first part of our country to grant women the right to vote back in 1869. Which that surprises me. I wouldn't think it'd be a state out west. But who, you know, who knew? Well, they call it the wild, wild, the west wild, for wild a west. The wild, wild west of, wo- of women voting, <laughs> where anything could happen, <laughs> including something as radical and scandalous as a lady vote. Women voting. <laughs> huh, call the call the sheriff. <laughs> and then came the territory of Utah, the territory of Washington, the territory of Montana, all in 1870, 1883, and 1887, respectively. Utah and Idaho came next. Followed shortly thereafter by uh, Washington, D.C., Oregon, Kansas, Arizona. And it really took us all the way to 1920 to say, or really to 1919, I should say, for the U.S. Congress to say, okay, this is a federal issue. Thanks to suffragettes, really. Totally. And so, you know, shout out to the badass organizing that these, that these women did. So at this point, it really comes down to Tennessee. It's really dragging its feet and needs to get on board. So much so that in August, President Woodrow Wilson set things in motion by asking Governor Roberts to call a special session of the Tennessee Assembly just to deal with this. So at this point, it's like, get it together. You know, Tennessee needs to stop dragging its feet and get some forward momentum on this issue. And of course, just like anyone would, when a national issue all hinges on one state house, what happens? All the lobbyists, all of the energy, all the suffragettes who've been fighting this good fight for a long time, of course, descend on Tennessee. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I can, I would watch a movie of this. It's amazing. So the suffragette supporters wore yellow roses. The antis wore red roses. The Senate went yellow, but the house was evenly divided. This is like, the stuff that, you know, they write that they write movies about. This is the kind of ten- palpable tension and drama that sometimes comes to politics, which I love. Totally. I would watch this movie. In fact, Bridget, there is a movie called One Woman, One Vote that came out in 1995 that y'all should check out if you want to see it. But I think this is ready for the modern day yeah. screen. I would. I want to see Hulu produce the next Kathy version of Bates. <laughs> Kathy Bates. I know, Bella Abzug, Kathy Bates. What more do you need? A hot issue going to the wee hours of the yes. night in the Tennessee legislature? Yeah, and the drama didn't end there. So when the Speaker of the House, Seth Walker, wearing a red rose, meaning he was anti-giving the vote to women, he entered a motion to table the resolution, which we know in political speak means let's never deal with this again. Let's Let's just put it in the dustbin of history and never see it. will never see the light of day. Exactly. So what did that result in? A tie. They called another vote after the whips did their best whipping. Another tie. And when the clerk began the third roll call vote, this time about the resolution itself, not about whether to table it or not, but a a straight up and down vote about whether or not to ratify the 19th Amendment and grant women the right to vote, one man who had been wearing a red rose changed his colors. So the famous story is that Harry Byrne, a 24-year-old from East Tennessee, who had received had received a letter from his mother, Phoebe E. Byrne, telling him to, quote, put the rat in ratification. Um, I'm not exactly sure, like, what that means, if it's an expression, but basically, maybe, maybe. if you're from Tennessee, please write in and let us know if that's a thing that y'all say. Um, but essentially, she just meant, 
you know, get this done. And get it done, he did. I love this, that a, a young man, a 24-year-old representative, Harry Byrne, cast the deciding vote. So they, the vote is over. They just voted to ratify the 19th Amendment, finally getting it through the final chamber of the final legislature. But the drama wasn't over yet because still the antis had the Speaker of the House in their pocket, right? So the Speaker of the House was anti. He was a red rose wearer. And he was starting to get a vote called to try to reconsider the issue. So he was trying to basically say, let's have a (laughs) do-over. A mulligan. Yeah. Oops. We just gave ladies the right to vote. Let's let's give that another reconsideration. Back that up. So what happened was they thought they could build some more support for the the red rose wearing anti uh ratifiers but in anticipation of a reconsideration vote 38 legislators 38 state legislators who had just voted for women's right to vote left the state. They fled the state, crossing the border into Alabama in order to prevent the assembly from having a quorum or having enough people present to justify having a vote, which is part of the wonky, wonky rules of state legislatures, um, to prevent any future voting from happening. So, boom, it's done. I'm running away. We can't redo this. <laughs> no no taxis. No taxis, backsies. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, both sides, of course, took legal action, tried to get lawyers uh, to say that it was a moot vote. And even after a judge issued a temporary injunction restraining the governor from giving the certificate of ratification to the secretary of state. And in doing so, he said, no women will vote for a year and a half at least as some reassurance to the anti-ratifiers. But even then, the governor said he would use the power of his office to sign the certification, which is what he did on August 25th. It was sent to Washington in uh, pre-internet times. That meant this didn't happen until the next day. It was sent to Washington, arriving just before 4 a.m. And on August 26, 1920, the 19th Amendment became part of the U.S. Constitution. Woo! Happy ending. Um, I, I, I mean, I have to. I should probably add. I, if I'm seeming a little loopy on today's episode, it's because. Just last night, I was up all night watching uh, the Senate floor debate on Obamacare, and it's just reminding me how po- we think of politics as this thing that happens with old white guys in suits in Congress and blah, blah, blah. And that's certainly part of it. But so much is late night drama, you know, activists and organizers descending on one location and waiting through the night on what's going to happen. And this reading this story is taking me back to last night where... I'm up, it's 3 a.m., your heart is pounding, you don't know what's going to happen, and before your very eyes, history gets made, and it's 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 amazing. The country we live in is truly amazing. Absolutely. Well said. And it's those moments in politics that I think we live for, and especially as activists who are fighting a long fight for issues like this that we are still fighting. So with that, let's take a moment to take a quick break. (laughs) And when we come back, we're going to talk about how epic a victory the 19th Amendment was, but how much it reminds us of the work that has yet to be completed. We'll be right back. And we're back and we're doing a little happy dance after uh, celebrating the victory of 
ratification of the 19th Amendment is a good thing to celebrate this August 26th. So get get your gal pals together, get your guy pals together, and everybody celebrate equality. Yes. Equality is for everyone. Yeah. Um, however, speaking of equality, Women's Equality Day doesn't quite do that legislative victory justice because actually the the legislative victory justice doesn't do that holiday right because just three years after the ratification of the 19th amendment uh the next move for feminists in the 1920s was a seemingly obvious next step which was to introduce a constitutional amendment for the overall equality of women for women to be legally stated in the constitution as equal in rights on all fronts, not just voting, to male counterparts or to other people in general. And so this piece of legislation, the Equal Rights Amendment, known as the ERA, was penned by Alice Ross and introduced to Congress in 1923. And yet, 1923, just three years after the ratification of the 19th Amendment, it was super not popular and it wasn't even passed by Congress uh, for another 49 consecutive sessions. So something to note is that this was kind of a polarizing piece of legislation. Um, even Eleanor Roosevelt was opposed to it for many, many years. And one of her major objections was she questioned how the ERA would impact protective labor legislation for rules that guarded for issues around unfair hours or dangerous work conditions for women specifically. And so this wasn't like a, you know, something that everyone was on board with. Quite the opposite. It was a little bit polarizing. And so it's interesting that here we are so many years later and it's still, you know, Unresolved. Undone. Yeah. And the Equal Rights Amendment just says that women are equal to men. It says that women should be protected as equal citizens and treated as equal citizens. But I can't help but think back to our episode on benevolent sexism, right, B? Because this idea of women at the time, Eleanor Roosevelt at the time, saying, no, 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 we can't legally treat women as equal. We have to treat them as special. Right. It is so benevolent. I was thinking back to our episode around nipples where – you know, that's just one of those issues where men and women are not equal in the eyes of the law. And so clearly you might think that we've come a long way and certainly we have, but we still have these these battles to fight. And so finally, Congress does pass the Equal Rights Amendment, but only after years and decades of reintroduction. It finally passes it on March 22, 1972, two years after women are marching the streets of New York City, celebrating the 19th Amendment passage and ratification. And one year after Bella Abzug makes August 26th Women's Equality Day. A year later, we're still fighting for the equal rights of women. And so here we go again, another round of how to actually make a constitutional amendment. So back in back in the first case on the 19th Amendment, of course, it all came down to Tennessee. But this time, Tennessee wasn't even on the list of, of, of states that held it up. Unfortunately, the list was a long one. Yeah, Tennessee definitely, I think they learned their lesson this time. They didn't want any of this drama. So by 1977, the legislatures of 35 states had approved the amendment. In 1978, Congress voted to extend the original March 1979 deadline to June 30th, 1982. However, no additional states voted yes before that date, and the ERA fell three, just three states short of ratification. These 15 states that did not ratify the ERA before the 1982 deadline were Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Nevada, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Utah, and Virginia. So basically, they took the most passive-aggressive 
policy stance possible, which is to get from Congress a congressionally passed constitutional amendment that just needs your two bodies of the state legislature, the state Senate and the state House to sign off on for this thing to actually become the law of the land. And 15 states drag their feet. We've got between 1972 and the original deadline, 1979, that's what? That's like seven years to get it together. Seven years that go by them saying, you know what's not a priority this year? Let's just not hold a vote. Or let's hold a vote and vote no on the ERA. And also the fact that we're talking about just a law that says that men and women are equal in the eyes of the law. That's it. It's not a groundbreaking thing. It's not an, it shouldn't be an earth shattering thing. The fact that we couldn't just all get on board with that is pretty wild. It's pretty telling, I think, for all the work our country still has to do. So even upon extending the deadline to 1982, they still don't pass it, which is the great unfinished business of Women's Equality Day. How can we really celebrate Women's Equality Day, you know, celebrating the ratification of the 19th Amendment without acknowledging that there was another amendment that the states had the same obligation to pass to vote on that we just have not gotten it together for? So really what this demonstrates, I think, is how far we've come, but how much more we have to go. The fact that we still don't have this thing passed, it's still not the law of the land, all the stuff they fought for, all the hard-earned rights that they were in the streets marching for and making noise about and clawing for, here we are, 2017, still doing the same thing. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm unclear as to whether or not you know, legally, we can just pass it in these states now and make it a thing, because I think because the deadline already passed, Congress has to retake the issue. So I'm not exactly optimistic of Donald Trump's uh, Republican controlled. I can't even call it his Congress because I don't think they like him very much right now either. But in 2017, I don't think this Congress is going to prioritize the ERA. But we need our members of Congress to make this an issue, to pass it once again, to send it back on to the states for ratification. But, you know, in the meantime, we've seen some symbolic gestures uh, like in this past March, 45 years to the day that the Congress first passed the ERA, Nevada became the 36th state to ratify it. But I really I don't even think that makes a difference at this point. The deadline has passed. So I would like to see our politicians, our political leaders, stop giving the Equal Rights Amendment lip service and start actually making it a priority. Because until then, technically, we do not have equal rights under the law. Totally. I completely agree. And I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of symbolic things. We have all of these monuments that are meant to symbolically uh, pay tribute to the ERA and to these women and to equality, but that doesn't really do anything for us. We need actual legislation, not monuments. And so I'm thinking of uh, President Barack Obama's administration, who uh, formally made the Seawall Belmont House and Museum a part of a national monument to celebrate women's history at national park sites. And that's obviously great, but... That's not legislation. And as nice as that is, and as much as I love Barack Obama, that perhaps does not help women as much as getting this stuff passed. Right. So this August 26th, let us do two things. One, let's commemorate and celebrate the tremendous passage of the 19th Amendment, which we know now more than ever, hopefully, was a big deal and not a not a sure thing at any point in time. Let's celebrate our right to vote. Let's make sure that we're all registered to vote. Let's get your friends registered to vote. Let's make sure all the women in our lives are exercising that hard-fought uh, right that we have. But let's also not lose sight of the fact that we have some serious unfinished business in terms of the Equal Rights Amendment. Here, here, Emily. I could not agree more. And one of the other things I wanted to highlight was, y'all, our foremothers, I know I keep saying this, but this was a hard-earned right. 
Are we using our 19th Amendment to the best of your ability? You might be thinking, but Bridget, I voted in the presidential election, and that is awesome. But are you voting in your local elections? Are you voting for your school board election? Do you know who your sheriff is? Do you know all of these things? So honestly, let's let's use these rights that our foremothers fought for. Let's use them loudly and proudly and make sure that we're living up to what they've given us to the best of our ability. I could not have said it better, Bridget Todd, the one and only. I love it. All right, Sminty listeners, we want to hear from you. What do you think about the hard-fought battle for the 19th Amendment and for the unfinished business that should be our next constitutional amendment, the Equal Rights Amendment? Send us a tweet at MomStuffPodcast. Leave your comments on our Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou. And as always, we love getting your listener mail at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs> 